Welcome to our podcast here at Trinity West Church. We believe that you will be enriched by today's message. Let's open our hearts to receive God's Word. We continue our series this morning on more than words. I started this last week so excited about this series. It's kind of like I was hoping to do it maybe even during the the winter months when we have less people traveling, but God led me to do it now, and I I know why he did, because it kind of goes hand in hand with what what is happening in our nation. Uh, I said last week that the Bible is our moral compass. It is our code. It is the foundation for the decisions that we make. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, All scripture is God-breathed. The Amplified says God-breathed. Now, the New King James says all, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. But it means that when God spoke, he breathed out, and he spoke the word of God. And so that means that every verse is important and unique, and it comes literally from the mouth of God. So this book is not like any other book. Hallelujah. This book is not just another religious book. This book is supernatural. It contains truth and absolute truth. And so we believe that this book is our moral compass. It is the foundation for why we make the decisions that we make. It tells us the difference, listen to this, between right and wrong and good and evil. And that's a huge thing. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan came to tempt Eve and said this. Said, now listen, I I want you to eat of this fruit. And, And Eve said, no, we can't eat of the fruit because God said, God said. In other words, the word of God says, huh? You, you can't eat of it because if you eat of it, you shall surely die. But in verse number five, the devil says back to her, he says, no, 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 you're not going to die for God knows in the day that you eat of it, you'll know good and evil. One translation says, uh, you'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll be just like God. You'll be able to discern good and evil. And that's what the enemy's trying to do with us even today. He wants us to develop our own morality. He wants us to take the the godly morals, what God has ordained as his decision. He wants us to take what is rightfully God's. Listen, what is rightfully God's, the determination between right and wrong, the ability to discern good from evil, that belongs to God. He wants us to take that from God and carry it ourselves. Develop our own moral code. After all, why listen to the word of God? Why listen to God? He's always challenging God's word in your life. That's what he's always doing. He's always trying to pull you away from the word of God. And it's dangerous when we develop our own moral compass. Let me just give you this example. We talked about it last week, but I feel like it's such an important issue, we need to address it again. Last week we talked about the Supreme Court decision and, 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 and what's going on in, in our world with, with morality and, and same-sex marriage and, 
And, and I don't know if you know this, but the President of the United States, when he was campaigning in 2004, or at least he was, he was not the President at the time, but, but he was an up-and-coming uh, candidate, he actually believed in the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. And he said that. He said, I believe in the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman. That was his belief. In 2010, there was breaking news. It came out, ABC, maybe you saw it, did a special report. They interrupted everything, did a special report. We're taking you live to, a, to an interview that was given by the president where he has suddenly changed his mind. And instead of now believing in the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman, he believes that his morals have evolved. And they evolved by, by saying this. He said, after talking with many same-sex same, same couples, I've come to the conclusion now, and I have evolved in my thinking. He actually used the word evolve. I've evolved in my thinking now that, that same-sex couples should be allowed to be, be married by law. Now, here's, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is what he's saying is this. I have the right to determine my own morals. And if I want to change them, I have the right to change them. Why is that dangerous? The reason why that's dangerous is, is because if I have the right to determine my own morals, what happens if my morals transgress your morals? What happens then? Do you know that there are people out there, they, they have no problem with stealing. They, they don't have it. They, don't have it. they won't lose sleep over it at all. They'll steal from the government. They'll steal from another person. Have you seen sometimes when, when riots happen and people go looting and they go into this business that a person has worked all their life to build this business and they just break in and they just take? They have, they have no, no objection to it whatsoever. You say, where's their moral code? Well, they, 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 evolved, they must have evolved. They must have changed. Their moral code now is transgressing somebody else's moral code. So what do we do then? What we do then is we go down to the rule of law. We have to then go to something higher than a moral code, and higher than somebody's moral code is our rule of law. And the rule of law says you can't steal. Right? So we go to something higher then. Well, listen, you see this book? It is higher than any rule of law. It's higher than anybody's moral code. It's higher than what I think. It's higher than what anybody thinks. I don't get the right. To, to determine what's right and wrong. This book has the right, and this book alone, right? So you say, Pastor, what do you think about that? It doesn't matter what I think. It really doesn't. I'll tell you what I think, but what I think ought to line up with what this says. And, and if it doesn't, then I need to change my thinking, right? So the Bible is our moral code. It makes a huge difference in our life. Now, that doesn't mean that we have the right to, to not be civil and, you know, we'd have the right to just say whatever we want. And, and some, I know there are some on, on this side that are saying, you know, Pastor, I mean, why make a big deal out of it? Homosexuality, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's a sin like any other sin. Right? I mean, isn't, isn't homosexuality just a sin like any other sin? Why, why would you even address it? Well, the truth is, is yeah, biblically... It's, it's listed just like any other sin. Now, every sin carries its own consequences. And you may have the right to choose the sin, but you don't have the right to choose the consequences of that sin. 
Those are just pre-established. So, so it is a sin just like, like any other sin biblically. But the reason why I address it, and, and, and I understand because here, here's what it says in Proverbs. You know, in Proverbs it says that there are seven things that God hates. Seven things God hates. You know, homosexuality is not on the list. You know, abortion is not on the list. Well, you could say, you could say it is because it says hands that shed innocent blood, so I should correct myself there. But, but it's not... It's, homosexuality is not on the list very clearly. You know what's on the list? Gossip. You know what else? Lying. You know what else? Pride. Arrogance. That's on the list in Proverbs chapter 6. But the reason why we address it, even though you, you say it's, it's no bigger sin than any other sin, is because it's what's happening in our world culturally. Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul gives a list. And let me just read it to you real quick. In verse number 9, it says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But the good news is this. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So in this list, right? In this list that Paul gives, listen, only one thing on that list is being celebrated today. Just one. Huh? We don't have Adultery Pride Day. I'm serious. We don't, we don't have... We don't celebrate thievery. We don't celebrate any of those other things. We don't say that they're okay. Right? And so the reason why we need to address it is, is because it's being accepted as norm. When something that God calls sin is being accepted as not sin, then we have to address it. But it's how we address it that the church really needs to, to maybe tone down some of the rhetoric and and, and it's how we address it that's going to really say whether or not we're going to be able to reach the homosexual community. Listen, if all we do is call names, and if all we do is, is, is just angrily quote scriptures, we're never going to reach people with the grace and love of God. Right? We're never going to be able to do that. So we have to, on one side, we have to address it, but on, on this hand, we have to address it in a, in a biblically way, in a grace way, in a loving way, where we accept the person, but not the act. Can everybody say amen to that? Amen to that. And I was talking to somebody last week out in the foyer, and they said, hey man, pastor, you know, in, in, in a sort of kind of way, I'm excited, because here's what the Bible says, hey, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Amen. So wait till you see the wave of grace that God's about to pour over these United States. I just believe that with all of my heart. So in Matthew chapter 4, coming back to our moral code and our moral compass and, and the word of God, which says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Verse 3 says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said this, verse 4, listen to this. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When Jesus was tempted, 
What did he do? When Jesus was tempted, he went back to something he had read. How did he know that scripture? He read it. How was he able to quote it? He memorized it. He studied it. And in a moment of physical weakness, fasting, he was spiritually strong. Why? Because he had the word of God on the inside of him. I said last week that the word of God is the breath of God. Well, this week, number two is this. The word of God is our spiritual bread. It's not only the breath of God, it is our spiritual bread, our spiritual bread. Jesus said, it is written. The verse he was quoting was actually Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 says, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might uh, make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He fed them with manna. He fed them with manna. Listen to this. This It's so important. When they left Egypt, when they were delivered from slavery, they went into the wilderness... And there they were, hungry, traveling around the wilderness, just hungry. And they cried out to God, hey, we're hungry. So God supernaturally sent a substance down from heaven that, that had kind of just like this, this mealy uh, substance to it. Or, and it was almost kind of like bread, like you'd find maybe a, a soggy type of bread. And it was called manna. It was called manna. And they were given strict instructions. They would go out in the morning and they would collect it. But the Bible says they were only to collect what they could eat that day. They did that for six days. The commandment came on the sixth day. They were collected for two days worth that day because he did not want them going out on the Sabbath day. Now, when they tried to eat yesterday's bread, they found that it was rotten. So they couldn't, they couldn't eat yesterday's bread. They had to go out every morning. The only exception was the Sabbath day. Supernaturally, that bread stayed good for two days. Does that make sense to everybody? So here they are collecting this substance from heaven every day. What was God teaching his children through that? God was teaching his children that you are to come to me every day for spiritual food. Spiritual food. You're to come to me every day. Every day you come and you collect spiritual food. It is a daily walk, a daily fight. There's a daily grind. Listen, there's a daily battle that takes place in your life. And every day you've got to make the decision, where do I get my strength? Where do I get my my sustenance? Where do I get the the ability to go and to resist temptation? Where do I get the ability to, to overcome the obstacles? Where do I get the ability? Where do we get it from? We have to get it from somewhere. And God says, you get it from me. And how do you get it from him? You open up this book. That's how you get it. You open up this book. And you say, God, I, I, I love to worship you. That's great. I, you know, I'm, and we need to pray, absolutely. But we can't neglect this as well. Listen, coming to church, hey, 11th commandment for me. But nothing will replace our time in God's word. 
There's no substitute for it. You can't find what you need on a podcast. You can't get it any other way. You can't get it by watching some TV preacher. You can't get it by coming here and listening to me. You can't get it by putting on Hillsong United. You can't get it by putting on Elevation Worship. You have to get it through the pages of this book or you'll get it no other way. It won't happen. You can only get strength that comes from here one way. And that's to read it. That's to read it. How far we have strayed as a nation. How dare us say we could develop our own moral code. How dare us say that, that, that we can make it without the Bible. How, how dare, listen, I understand. Listen, I'm old-fashioned. I get it. I, I'm old-fashioned. I'm not old. I'm just old-fashioned. Right? I told everybody I'm an old soul and a very young, sleek body. But that's just, that's just what I say. And so, I'm a Sunday school kid. I grew up in church. I grew up memorized. I, so I'm just, I'm just old-fashioned. But listen, I, I'd rather stay that way than evolve, listen to me, and, and, and evolve away from this book. It, it will never happen. The day we stop preaching from this book, we might as well shut the doors. We might as well just lock up the church because if we ever stray from the teachings of this book, we have strayed way too far. Listen, I've seen preachers now, they don't have pulpits anymore. They get a table and a chair and they don't bring Bibles. Instead, they bring just some cute stories and read some poems and talk about cultural events. And I think, what are they doing? Listen, if we're not preaching God's word, what are we preaching? If we're not reading God's word, what are we reading? Help us to get back to the Bible. It is our spiritual bread. And without it, you're starving. Without it, you are weak. Listen, what is bread for? Bread gives us strength. Every January, we go into 21 days of prayer and fasting. We've done that for probably eight years. Eight years as a church, we've spent 21 days fasting the first part of the year, right before the South Florida Fair ends. <laughs> And every pound I've lost, I've gained it right back within two or three days of the South Florida Fair. Praise the Lord. Now, you may not know this about me because we go, 21, we go 21 straight days. That doesn't mean we ask you to fast for 21 straight days. We just say, hey, you fast as the Lord leads. But we meet every night except Saturdays. We meet every night for an hour of prayer. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday through Friday night. We meet every night for an hour of prayer. We, I preach on fasting. We talk about fasting. And what it does, it just kind of sets the tone for the year. And you know, through the holidays and stuff and all, everything that happens with the holidays, it just helps us to get refocused on God's purpose for us for this coming year, right? So we'll do it again in January. And every year, here's what has to happen. I kind of have to get there mentally, because, you know, fasting, I don't know about you, I just don't, it doesn't come easy for me. Look, you may not know it by looking at me, I can eat. I can eat with the best of them. I can tear it up. In fact, I'll challenge anybody. No, anyway, just kidding. Uh, I, I, will, I love food. I just love it. I cook. I grill with charcoal, which is how real men cook. Anyway, so I, 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 I do all of that. I love food. So every time we go into this extended period of fasting, because we've gone through long periods of fasting, and, and just depend what you consider long, it's up to you, but, but we go through, and you have to get there. Now, when I come to church, because the Bible says, hey, when you're fasting, wash your face, anoint your head with oil, put on some great clothes, you know, 
and, and, and come in. Y'all don't know what's going on on the side of me. I just put, hey, I smile and everything. Cynthia is the only person that knows what really happens to me when I fast. Because I confess it to her all the time. Honey, I'm going to kill for a piece of bread or something. Uh, honey, I'm so hungry. In the middle of the night, I just reach over. Listen, if I don't wake up in the morning because I've died of starvation, tell the children that I love them and that, you know, it's, it's worth it all, you know? I just, I think I'm going to die, you know? Why get up if you can't eat? What's the purpose? Just lay in bed all day, right? That's sometimes what goes through my thoughts. And I have to overcome that, and I do. I get there most of the time. I, I can overcome that. But what happens is, it's not the hunger that bothers me so much. Here's what really bothers me. When I fast, the weakness. Oh, if y'all ever fasted now, you're weak. Listen, go a day. Go a couple days without food. You can hardly stand. You, you, you know, you, you just, you're just walking around. Your brain's like mush. Your legs are like mush. You, you can't. Why? Because you're weak. Why? You've had no food. You should be weak. And that's the purpose of fasting. That in your physical weakness, God strengthens you spiritually. Hallelujah. It's the whole purpose of fasting. So the weakness is what really bothers me. Well, listen, how many Christians walk around having gone two or three days, four or five days, a week, two weeks, God forbid, even a month, without picking up their Bibles and allowing God to strengthen them through his word. Let me say it again. When Jesus was tempted, when he needed strength, when he was fasting, when he, has, when he was physically hungry, and somebody said to him, oh, just make yourself some bread. Oh, just, just take care of yourself. Just take care of yourself and, and, and do it. You could do it. He used the word of God. He quoted a scripture that he had memorized. He said something he had read. Not he had heard, he had read it. Man shall not live by bread alone. The word of God is our spiritual food. It is our spiritual food. Where else would we feed ourselves? Listen, there's just too many times we're weak Christians. I have a friend of mine who says, listen, I can resist anything but temptation. I can resist anything but temptation. We're just too weak sometimes. And the truth is, is you don't know what phone call you're going to get. You don't know what's going to happen next week. You don't know what calamity is, is waiting around the corner. You don't know what's going to happen on the job next month. You never know what, how your world could be turned upside down in just a moment. And I've walked some people through some dark days as a pastor, 20 years in ministry. I've walked some people through some really dark days. And, and things that they did not see coming, just all of a sudden, their world was turned upside down. Well, where do we get the strength to handle those kind of phone calls, those kind of situations? Where, where do we get the strength to do that? We get it through the Word of God. We get it by getting into this book and getting this book into us. Right? The first time God sent bread from heaven, they called it manna. Now listen, let's go back to what that meant. Manna in the Hebrew 
actually is one big question mark. The word manna can be translated this. What is it? They didn't know what it was. They'd never seen anything like it before. They couldn't, it's really, even today, it's hard to describe what it was. And so they'd never seen it. They didn't know what it was. So they called it a question mark. They called it manna. What is it? Now, watch as I connect the dots. The second time he sent bread from heaven, Jesus, in John chapter 1, the Bible says in John 1, 1, the word was with God and the word was God. John 1, 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So who is the word of God? Jesus is the word of God. Now, in John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching, and he says this, I am the bread of life. So Jesus said, I'm the word of God. I am the bread of life. So listen, when we read these scriptures, when we digest this book, when we open up the pages and we begin to allow the word of God to get into our life, here's what's actually happening. We're actually allowing Jesus entrance into every area of our life. Because Jesus is the Word of God. You can't separate it. You can't separate uh, what Jesus did from the rest of the Scriptures. Jesus is the Word of God. Because some people have said, well, you know, Jesus was silent on that. No, no, no. If Leviticus says it, Jesus said it. If Psalm says it, Jesus said it. If, if Romans says it, Jesus said it. Huh? If Corinthians says it, Jesus said it. Jesus is the word of God. You can't separate Jesus from the rest of the Bible. And so, so when you open up these pages, when you begin to read this book, you're allowing the word of God into your life. Now let me kind of wrap things up like this. Every now and then... I get impatient. Does anybody else get impatient? Does anybody else struggle with that just a little bit? Okay. Anybody else have anger issues too? Does anybody deal with a little bit of temper problems? Am I the only one that can lift my voice at a higher decibel than I should? Okay. And, and a lot of it is with my family because I'm with them all the time. And Summer's here. Praise the Lord. And so, um, and all the kids are home and bless the Lord of my soul. And so, um, 10,000 reasons. Praise God. So, so, you know, so we all, have, we all have issues that we deal with. And, you know, my, mine is, is that I, I sometimes raise my voice or I'll lose my temper. And so, so I have to uh, ask myself, well, what should I do next? Listen, that's a question. Now, if the first time he sent bread from heaven, it was a big question mark. The second time he sent bread from heaven, it was an answer. Listen, it was an answer to every question you'll ever ask. Jesus is the answer. The word of God contains every answer. I said this last week. There's no situation that you've ever gone through, that you ever will go through. There's no obstacle. There's nothing that could ever happen to your family. There's never, nothing that could ever happen to your finances or to your health. There's nothing that you will ever face in this life that's not covered in the pages of this book. Everything, your children, your children's children, and every generation that will ever come after you, all of it is contained. Every answer is found in this book. I believe that with all of my heart. So if that's true, then when I lose my temper, 
When I, when I say something to my wife that I shouldn't say, when she doesn't listen to me all the time, which is crazy, but she doesn't, when she doesn't, then, then what do I do? Well, I often walk away, and then it hits me. What should I do? And where do I find the answer to that? Huh? I find the answer in the pages of this book. Because I know, listen, the minute I walk away and I've said something, I'll, I'll often ask myself, well, should I go apologize? Huh? Should I go and be the first person to ask for forgiveness? Hmm. I don't know about that. Now, listen, if I'm developing my own moral code, if I'm just going by me, then, then I would say, nah, I'll give it some time. I'll let her sit there and stew for a little while. I mean, you know what? Why give her the satisfaction of a... If I'm developing my own moral code, those are my thoughts. Hey, let's just face it. Let's just be real. Who wants to do everything the Bible says all the time? I don't. I don't want to be good all the time. But sometimes I want to say something mean and then go, take that. Yeah. Boom. You want to come back with a good zinger? Huh? Walk away and just let them have it. Listen, that's what, listen, don't tell me you're good all the time that you never have a, you know, come on, listen, let's just be real. But often I will ask myself this, what would a great husband do? And the answer to that question is always found in the pages of this book. What would a great husband do? Well, he'd go apologize. Because it says it right here. Huh? It says it right here that you delay your gift at the altar and you go be reconciled. It says right here, when somebody hurts me and I just feel like telling them exactly how I feel, huh? If I feel like, anybody ever, anybody ever offend you and you just thought to yourself, I will never talk to them again as long, they're dead to me now, right? Huh? I will never forgive them. But yet, what does the pages of this book say? The pages of this book tell you a different moral code. The pages of this book say this, you forgive them as many times as is necessary. 490 and counting. You forgive them. Right? This is our moral compass. This is our, our moral code. And when I want to act out, huh, when I want to do something I, I shouldn't do, this is what has to keep me in line. And when I transgress, listen, every time I obey this book, things go well for me. Let's just face it. Has anybody else found that? Every time I obey this book, things go well for me. Every time I disobey this book, Things don't go well for me. When I'm harsh or critical or rude or sinful or immoral, it's because I've strayed from the pages of this book. And in my weakness, huh, through a lack of sp spiritual strength, I give in when I shouldn't. And so this book, it's often said, will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Psalms 119.11, and we'll end right here. Psalms 119.11 says this. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? So that I don't sin against you, God. Hmm? So I want to encourage you now. This is what we're going to do. I want to encourage you to just develop a reading plan. I want to encourage you. I, I hope you started last week. I, I told you to go get a new Bible if you don't have one. If you don't have a Bible, you understand. Listen, there's a Bible app out there. Uh, that's just fantastic by Life Church. Just fantastic. 
Just search Bible on the app. So if you want to have a phone, you want to put it on your tablet, I always like uh, uh, holding a book in my hand. Go find a book that you can enjoy. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about translations and different things. But, but listen, I, I just want to encourage you. Develop a reading plan. How many days, let me give you this example. How many days are in a month? Well, most months, it's 30 or 31. How many books or chapters, I should say, are in Proverbs? 31. Aren't you glad there's never 32 days in a month? You think that's a coincidence? No, I don't think so. So that means that if today is July 5th, then God must have something to say in Proverbs chapter 5 for me today. So if that's the plan you want to develop, that's what I've done for you, if that's what you want to do, do that. Listen, just find a reading plan. I had a professor in, in Bible school, and here's what she did. Every January, the first of the year, she would pray, and God would give her a reading plan for that year. Just a reading plan for that year. And she'd show it to us. She'd say, this is what she said last year. She'd show us last year's reading plan, and then she would show us, and it would be like, like 12 books of the Bible, or 14, or, you know, it wasn't an exact number, but it'd be like different books of the Bible. And she said, this is what God told me to read, and this is how he told me to read it, in what order. And it was in no particular order. She just said, God told me to read, and it'd start with Esther, and then go into some of the Psalms, and then go into maybe a book in the New Testament. And she said, God just spoke to me, this is my daily reading plan for this year. I'm going to pick up the Bible, and I'm just going to read it. For, for a period of six months... I read the book of Acts uh, every day. I would read, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. I would read four chapters a day. And so that means in one week, seven days, you read the entire book of Acts. So I read the entire book of Acts in one week. I read that for six months, I did that. I just read Acts over and over and over again for six straight months. God just told me to, you know. And so, you know, I, I know the book of Acts really well. But, but you know, he didn't do that with with the book of Numbers, praise the Lord. I mean, you know, but, but that's just what God told me to do. Here's what I'm saying to you. Find a reading plan that works for you. Find a Bible that you love. Find a place that you could go and really get into this book. Listen, the devil doesn't want you in it. He wants to challenge everything God has ever said and ever will say to you. He is always telling you that this book is not true. I'm here to tell you this book is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? If you want to know this morning how to be a better husband, how to be a better father, if you want to know this morning how to be a better employer, if you want to know today how, how can I do better in my finances, how about health in my body? How can I live more healthy? How is that possible? All of the answers are in this book. Every one of them. And let me tell you, I want to be a better husband. Because I've got a long way to go. And I want to be a better father. I've got a long way to go there too. And I want to be a better employer to my employees. And I want to be a better pastor. I've got a long way to go there. And this, this book tells me how to do it. There's such wisdom there. So I want to pray for you today.